The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And this is Leanne Meyer. I am very happy to invite, welcome you back to the show. Um, <clears throat> we, uh, Our sponsors, I'll tell you just for today, is uh, Kim Evans Institute for Integrative Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky, where they make you an active partner in your care and healing your mind, body, spirit, and soul. Kim has a new book out called Transforming Healthcare, healing you, me, and our broken disease care system. For information, please contact www.integrativemedicine4u.com. Integrative medicine is written out. Four is a number, and U is just the letter. Um, Also, check out the very popular Holly Blue Nurse Community app, which is for and about nurses, www.hollyblue.com, a community where nurses thrive. Today's show, our title is Revisioning the Image of Nursing, and my guest is Dr. Ann Scanlon McGinnity, and she's had a long and lustrous career seeking to advance nurses and nursing leadership. She and I met through LinkedIn and quickly connected on the topic of nurse image. Nurses, especially female nurses, have had an image that goes back to Florence Nightingale's time nearly 200 years ago. Florence changed healthcare in significant ways by setting out her book called Notes on Nursing and then later Notes on Hospitals, where she essentially designed the modern hospital that we still use today. She did not want nurses to be handmaidens of the doctors and saw our role with a uniquely nursing focus. Still, for over 100 years, that mothering handmaiden image is what mainly has stuck to us, and nurses have pushed back little to change that image. Nurses in the past 50-plus years have striven for excellence in every role, whether they had resources or not. Modern nurses are receiving higher levels of education, learning business, researching problems clearly in the realm of nursing effort, and so much more. Still, our former image is what sticks. Even in our recent image as heroes, few are stepping up to let nurses take the lead in healthcare systems. What can we as nurses do to show equality of purpose and outcomes on par with other esteemed colleagues in our industry? And to answer this question, my guest uh, again is Dr. Ann Scanlon McGinnity. And she's most recently held the position of System Chief Nurse Executive at the University of Michigan Health System in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She has served in many top leadership positions at Houston Methodist Hospital and Global Services and for two years as Chief Operating Officer of Houston Methodist Global Services, where she was the executive lead on activating the King Abdullah Center for Oncology and Liver Disease at King Faisal Specialist Hospital and Research Center in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Welcome, Anne. Thank you so much for coming on. 
Thank you, Leanne. I'm delighted to be here today and to have the conversation that you and I will embark upon shortly. Yes, this is. I'm, I've been looking forward to it since we first talked about it. So please share a little bit about your background and how you came to the passion to change the image of nursing. Love to. Um, I'm going to say that my whole personal identity as a nurse was formed very, very much early on in life through that of my family. And the values that were portrayed there set the foundation for wanting to be of service. But one of the critical things or two of the critical things that were valued in my family was one discourse that conversations had pros and cons and we were all invited to engage in them wholeheartedly. The second was education and the value of education and the value of service. So naturally, I think I took those personal identity attributes with me into the field of nursing when I embarked upon um, the journey to become a nurse. And it was a very interesting journey, but what was significant and is significant to this day and is the foundation of all of that has been that the integrity, compassion, and accountability around service needed to be coupled with the intellectual capability of what the profession had to provide. And whether it was accidental or sought out, um, I found my way early on in my career. In fact, my first position as an advanced practice nurse in in child psychiatry was in a Mm. trauma center. (laughs) And that trauma center was the foundation was set for me for the conversations that we're having today. There I found that I was an equal in the, in the provision of care. The focus was solely as a team on helping that patient survive. The expectations of my performance were no different, whether it was the physician in charge, whether it was the nurse, the physical therapist. And I learned there about innovation. I learned about entrepreneurship and I learned about accountability and being creative, all in the service of patients. So every part of my career, as I worked and moved in academic medical centers, was always with that notion that the nurse was a bright, talented, energetic person who led teams, not just of nurses, but healthcare professionals in delivering excellence in service to patients. Right. So that's the foundation, and that is where today I sit and say all of those uh, activities that I've ever been part of are images that I have of how nurses need to be and looking forward, how do we bring right. that more into the reality of everyday nurse. So let's look at what is the image of the nurse currently. How do you see uh, the image um, that most people have of nurses and then maybe of what nurses have of themselves. Okay. And image is critical because image professionally produces behaviors and branding of how people see us. So what is imaged by the nurse and by the profession is critically what people will see us as. So when I look Mm -hmm. at where we have come from, that image was a very profound one and it was birthed, as you suggested, with Florence. But it was birthed 
in a, an environment around conflict, around war. So the mm-hmm. words we use to describe nursing and the metaphors by which we described nursing came from ones that really talked more about war images, which was violence, which was working in the trenches, which was taking mm-hmm. doctor's orders. All of those kinds of activities simply reflected a piece of what that image was because nurses were mothering, they were kind, they were nurturing, they worked in the trenches with the doctors, but they existed in a role that was less than equal in those, in those trenches. So those images have lasted with us for a long, long period of time. And they're good images in many respects about honesty, integrity, compassion, accountability, etc. But I'm suggesting today that we have to expand that image in order for us to address the problem of how come we're not always at the table? How come we're not at the table around health policy? How come we're not seen as the go-to top person when issues around healthcare transformation emerge? And it's because we take that personal identity and we live that. So what emerges from that are what we have today with COVID-19, heroes. I'm looking to say we are and we want that and that should never change. What we have to do is expand that image now to revolve around one that sees the nurse as a scientist, as a collaborator, as an entrepreneur, as an innovator, and as a leader along with being an epidemiologist, an economist, et cetera, to lead healthcare transformation, we have to expand that image. And the biggest cultural revolution that has to occur has to start within the ranks of nursing itself from a global perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And around the world, uh, nurses are accepted uh, more or less to the level that, you know, some of the, the first run uh, countries are, but um, many countries, I think, are far ahead of us, and um, there's a lot of room for us to improve. Before we move on, I want to just mention one thing uh, about the hero image. Um, I had one nurse that was talking with me, and she said that the thing that bothered her about the hero image is that, again, it goes back to that kind of military thing, or police, or Mm -hmm. firemen, who go into to a job knowing that it's very, very dangerous and they could very well die from it. And her feeling is that nurses in general, especially in the United States, are not expecting to die from from the work that they're doing. And she felt that by all of the people giving them hero status, that it made them expendable. And um, Mm. so kind of like, oh yeah, well, you know, some of them are going to die and that happens. But I don't mm-hmm. know if you want to just spend a couple minutes talking about what would happen if nurses are, are, are moved away from nursing because of this or are dying because of this. Right. I think a hero image is pretty profound. But what is oftentimes visualized from the hero perspective is the vision or the image you see of nurses who are literally fatigued, who are worn out, whose mm-hmm. faces are bruised from masks, etc. That all plays into what I'd have to say, those things are absolutely true. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they are reflective of the work that the nurse is doing day to day. What I'm saying is we have to expand that image 
and provide something that encompasses those attributes of service of 24-7 of doing those kinds of things, but also includes how am I going to make it different so this does not occur again? Mm -hmm. It's the old adage, if you keep working in the business, doing the business, which our business is caring for patients, you can't work on the business, which is expansion strategically of broadening out who and what we are. So though you want that image of investment, there have to be strategically important areas we look at in expanding that image so that, in fact, we stop asking the questions, why am I not at the table? Why are Mm -hmm. nurses not at top of mind? So how do you do that as you use the images and craft a more refined, added-on aspect to that image so that you do see the nurse as all the aspects as I shared with you, as being a scientist, as being an entrepreneur, etc. It's building more onto it. And yeah. I think we have to stop, honestly, asking the question, why, why? And we have to say, what do we need to do to change yeah. those whys? What are we going to do now? Because COVID has provided so much disruption and such a platform to see what people are actually doing. And it's many, many individual nurses who are stepping up to the task of being effective from an entrepreneurial perspective, you know, mm-hmm. in developing gadgets that are helpful to patients, setting up their own businesses, their own companies, etc. There, The individual nurse understands some of this, but collectively, we as a profession have really done nothing to come together and build mm-hmm. consensus about what the future image ought to include and how do we then go about embedding that the day we accept the person into a clinical program as a student nurse all the way through their life cycle and their life experience, Mm -hmm. developing leaders who understand the cultural revolution that has to occur within nursing. If we don't, the image we have sticks, but it doesn't mm -hmm. change the question of how do you make, how do you get to be, and what do you have to do to do transformation in in healthcare? And that's what's needed today. And that's what the the community wants. And they'll accept it because it comes from an honest person, a person that they see as having integrity, having compassion. Now we're simply highlighting all the other dimensions that the nurse brings to the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the high skills in many, many different areas. Um, So the question is always, uh, you know, if, it's hard enough to introduce change when things are, you know, basically everything is unchanged and then you're changing some one aspect of it. But it feels like Mm -hmm. uh, post-COVID that everything has changed. And so people are trying to deal with um, a very big uh, systemic change in healthcare. Where does it start? You know, where, where is that first step? Right. There are probably many places where you can start, but if I had to look and say, how do, how do we and what do we have to do as nurses to impact the cultures of the organization to see us in this way, I honestly believe a first critical, critical step is that the national organizations, the global organizations that represent nurses must focus on imaging of the nurse as a priority. That then cascades through anything and everything you do. 
once there's consensus around that image, and I don't think it'll take much because most people probably buy this, but we have not branded it. We have not sold it. We have not put it out there. We only put out one dimension, and that's the hero image. Let's put out mm-hmm. some other. But the consensus mm-hmm. has to be an alignment of national and international nursing organizations on what is the future image and vision for nurse nursing in transforming healthcare. Design that that image, design that, and then cascade it back into every single aspect that influences a nurse, into the cultures in which they work, into the organizations that they belong to, into national organizations. Our national nursing organizations, unfortunately, I see, are very, very vertical in their approach. They have a task and they look at it. The NLN mm-hmm. does this, the you know, ANA does this, and you can see by virtue of the membership, I think ANA's membership is something like 18% of 4.3 million nurses. That's not a huge wow. percentage. Um, yeah. Collective bargaining units have a higher percentage of that that are run by non-nurse units in many, mm-hmm. many respects. So what do they have to do to influence and get people to buy that they're capable of looking strategically and supporting us in defining those images? Mm-hmm. That has to occur. And it has to be everybody's priority. So even if you're an education group and that's your sole focus, you still have to have a priority. What's the image? Because right. then your curricula should be built from the image you exactly. are trying to brand and portray. Yeah. And until yeah. that image is started to become more fluid and acceptable, it gets harder to push it down into an organization. Cultures mm-hmm. exist, and I am a firm believer on this. Cultures exist in organizations because the leaders create them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they create the silence, the fear, the intimidation in passive ways. They don't actively. I never went out actively to do it. But you can see in organizations where silence of voice may be the predominant factor. We need leaders, mm-hmm. and we need leaders who are competent at tables. I might have a title that doesn't necessarily say I'm a competent individual yeah. to work on this. Right. And people in leadership positions recognize that. We don't within the nursing. We say, well, we're educated. We have this. We have that. Therefore, mm-hmm. we should be. Well, when you're not, you know, you have to look and say, how come that is? And many times I'd have to say there's no standardization for high-level executive nurse leaders to have expectations of how they, they lead and that they mm-hmm. have a competency set to be able to do that. And I don't think it's going to come from, some comes from on-the-job experience, some comes from academia, but it's limited. There are many other ways we have to begin to identify what those competencies are. And the second step to that is embed it. Once it's out there, brand it, embed it, put it out to everyone within organizations, within nursing organizations, within your own organizations. These are the visions. This is what we're leading to because programs develop from that. You Mm -hmm. know, learning educational models of how you need to understand the impact you have financially on healthcare and revenue of a hospital is because you understand finance. You don't get mm-hmm. that. You get how to do a budget. That's not about finance. That's not about how hospitals organize nurses. Exactly. And how it can be have done better. They have this at every level because they have mm-hmm. to look in the mirror and say, my prevention of this patient's fall or my intervention in wound care has prevented this patient from 
staying in the hospital for four more days, a morbidity right. issue, from falling out of bed, this, and inducing more testing, et cetera, this is the way I contribute from a perspective of finance. The nurse has got to be cognizant of that. I don't mm-hmm. think we start early enough in our academic environments in teaching people about those things. So that's a, that's a strong impact, and I think that's how cultures begin to change. You change the expectation mm-hmm. You change the metaphor by how you image yourself. You change the behavior by what you accept. And you change the competency by which people lead at every single level in the profession. That gets enough of a force going that your voice, when it speaks, is knowledgeable at that table and it's accepted. And it has has to be trained. (laughs) You know, we can't assume that, that, I said it has to be trained. Uh, we can't yes. assume that just the management needs to know these things. The staff nurses uh, have even a more, a, a greater need to know these yes. things, I think. Um, one of the things yeah. that I've been hearing as I am talking to more and more nurses over this past year of COVID <coughs> is that there's a pretty big divide. The nurses at the bedside feel like there's a huge divide between them and those people who are in those leadership positions, in those leader Mm -hmm. organizations, um, in those education uh, areas. They feel like they don't really know what the nurses are experiencing. And so therefore, and, and often those are the people that the media goes to to talk to, but they're not really getting uh, the the real feelings that people at the bedside are right. are feeling right now. Right. And I would probably echo that that's accurate. And to some degree, in great organizations, the managers do know their people well enough. And they have yeah. created an environment where their voice is heard. Um, the hope with magnet organizations, of which, you know, I participated yeah. in four or three redesignations and the original designation is was to set the environment there so I'm not in charge of the quality but the nurse taking care of the patient says Ann this is a problem you bought me a bed that doesn't work I need to be in on the bed buying process or you know right. the whatever process and environments that know their people that hire bright people that speak to mm-hmm. it are really the ones that will see that nurses are respected by their management simply is a reflection of them, that the manager's job mm-hmm. is to get out of the way of the people who know the yes. job. And, <laughs> and, and so bring the obstacles with them the out of the way. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. And, yeah. and that goes back to competencies, you know, leadership competencies that in the leader sometimes are missing. And it's a top on down because somebody's telling that leader top on down till you change that culture through mm-hmm. leadership that says the only voice that matters besides the patient is the people caring for the patient because <laughs> they know far exactly. better than me what we need to be doing here. So we're back to that concept of patient-centered, but it's just words in in many organizations. I think that this COVID situation has kind of pried away all of the curtains and the um, blinders. So we can see much more clearly which are the organizations that are functional and working with all of their employees, not just nurses, but all of the employees and gathering their ideas and using them to the betterment of the organization. As right. opposed to that organization who is only looking at the money aspect of it or, or minimally and right. um, just trying to keep it a top down so that I say this is what we do and everybody just does it and nobody bugs me about right. it. Right. 
And that's all about trust. You know, if you trust mm-hmm. somebody cares enough about you to value your opinion because you're smart enough, because mm-hmm. I hired you, because I thought you were talented and you know things I don't know, <laughs> then you, you're right. You do have the problem. A quick anecdote I'll share with you. We had, okay. it was around patient experience. And when you had a service disruption where something didn't work the way it should and you had an upset family mm-hmm. or patient, and the example was the patient was supposed to be discharged. We tell the family he's going to be discharged tomorrow and now it's five o'clock on the next day and there's no sign of the patient moving out of it because things were not done. So we had a service recovery program and a piece of that was the manager, the manager could go out and buy a cup of coffee, buy a dinner, pay for parking. You, they had some funding mm-hmm. that we allocated. And I can remember, I never allocated it that way. And I can remember going up to the floor because it was a problem and chatting with the nurse and saying, well, why don't you just buy him a cup of coffee or whatever? Nurses were going into their own pocket. I said, what happened mm-hmm. to the money that we said? It's locked in the manager's office. Right. <laughs> what I can remember saying to our managers, if I can't trust that nurse who I pay $70,000 a year to care right. for a patient and do all the right things, and I can't trust her to give a $5 cup of coffee to somebody, what's the problem mm-hmm. here? And that's what yeah. the problem was. You know, opening it up to say, I'm hiring people. I'm trusting that they're smart, bright people. They need as much access to fixing this as the manager. The manager's not here, but the nurse is here. And she's dealing with, or he's dealing with the problem. So those kinds of things are you have to, as a leader, examine your behavior and say, how do I put that bedside clinician out there when they come with a new idea, get them into the right channel, give them Mm -hmm. the time to do this stuff. That's my role as a leader is to get out of their way and help them invent and create. And that yeah. takes a and, lot. That and instead of saying, this retooling. is never going to work and nobody's going to approve it, saying, great, what right. an innovative idea. Let's see how we can make it work and, and uh, who will uh, help us to make that happen. Um, That's right. I, wh- one of the things, uh, actually, we're coming up to a point of um, taking a break here. So this mm-hmm. is uh, um, perhaps a, a good place to do it. But one thought I had as you were talking is I wonder sometimes, and hopefully this has changed, that as we're promoting nurses, we're not just promoting that nurse who is excellent at her job in the ICU. We're looking mm-hmm. at who is that person who really understands management and hopefully has had that education of management, um, but yeah. also who um who has continued to get training and support of the managers to continue to learn. And one of those things is conflict resolution. Um, I think we're maybe better at training managers and, and, and that level up, but we aren't good at training the, the people who are at the bedside. And those are the people who deal with the conflicts constantly. You know, the agitated right. patient, the family who doesn't feel the yes. care has been uh, acceptable, and doctors who are demanding some Thing that is impossible and they won't listen to why mm-hmm. not all of those kinds mm-hmm. of things we have to train nurses to do that and to feel mm-hmm. comfortable doing it respectfully that's the key because if somebody is being uh-huh. disrespectful to you you don't want to turn around and be disrespectful back you want to change that right. whole tenor so maybe let's pick right. this up when we come back okay. we're going to go on break now uh, so this okay. is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse Exploring the World of Nursing, and our topic is Revisioning the Image of Nursing. My guest is Dr. Ann Scanlon McGinnity. She has most recently held position of System Chief Nurse Executive at the University of Michigan Health System. 
in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And she has uh, served in many top leadership positions at Houston Methodist Hospital and Global Services. We will be back in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. WomenInHealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Hey nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own, which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store or Google Play now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back from our break. I'm so happy to have you stay with us. Uh, this has been a really exciting topic, revisioning the image of nursing. And my guest is Dr. Anne Scanlon McGinnity and has spent a large portion of her career at the Houston Methodist Hospital hospitals and more recently global services. So we have talked about so many different aspects of seeing the, the nurse differently, um, having branding and being able to show uh, by by seeing people's actions and have that training all the way through the organization of nursing uh, from the bedside to the very um, top leaders of nursing. And so we were going to talk just briefly maybe about um, uh, conflict, dealing with conflict. I mean, I think about it, I can't speak for any other state, but in Minnesota, something like 80% of the people in Minnesota use uh, denial or uh, um, trying to avoid uh, conflict as their primary way of dealing with 
with conflict, which, of course, doesn't work at all. So talk about that. What do we need to do to help people be able to communicate under, under stress? Right. That, that's an excellent topic. Um, I learned early on in my life, and this came from my family, that in order to be heard, you needed to be reasonable, you needed to be logical, and mm. that there were opposing perspectives on life, not right, mm-hmm. not wrong. If you, if you didn't have privy to that, <laughs> um, then what you learned and where you're going to learn conflict resolution is definitely in the arena of education. And that's where mm-hmm. I think the early uh, footprint has to be set for nursing students, that there are perspectives, they are opposite perspectives, and the whole notion of how one debates ought to be a course that one is provided mm-hmm. when you get into nursing school to look at. Here's a topic that's a pro and a con. You get arguments together. You look at that. That's at least giving you the tool set to look at how you would approach conflict. When mm-hmm. you, one of the things I found incredibly successful, and I heard it at um, at a conference at one point in time, many times nurses, when they're confronted with conflict or somebody says something in an authoritative way, they are so shocked that they have nothing to say and they stand mm. there and they listen to that person who in many respects can be um, very negative in their approach or blaming or doing whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. I learned very early from, from a, a great conference that one of the things you have to do is prepare nurses for that. So whether you teach them about conflict resolution, debating skills, etc., is that when something happens that's different, you have a response that's ready that you can mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. They had a little band on their arm that said, when Dr. So-and-so, this is an example from many years ago, but the concept is a good one. When Dr. Uh-huh. So-and-so, you don't know what you're doing, you shouldn't be in here, that the nurse was so shocked at what he was saying that she just stood there. Two, uh-huh. two approaches they had. One approach was, I would love to be able to do something that was written that she could look on her wrist that said, I would love to be able to discuss this with you right now, but this is mm-hmm. not the time, and walk mm-hmm. away. <laughs> yes. Don't stand there and let somebody yell at you, because mm-hmm. they will stop yelling once you walk away from them, because <laughs> they will be the ones who look somewhat foolish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important concept. So one is education and training early on in any curriculum, how you deal with this course that's, that gets you to a better decision-making, that stays focused on the patient, that's not personal, and it's through debating skills about having logic, et cetera, that people listen to, and how when you have someone who's highly emotional, that you don't you know, approach in a certain way, that you have an approach ready to get the nurse to respond. So I think that's incredibly important that you build that. And that's the same in any leadership group. When there is conflict, conflict usually leads to a better discourse. A better idea will come from that in the sense that there's opposing views. Tolerance of that. How do we teach people? Well, it's teachable. How do you tolerate a different opinion and get a perspective? Because usually when you focus on it, the opinion is if you and, say and share again, doctors out. will listen. <clears throat> doctors will tend to listen to you more if you are speaking to them uh, as on their level. If you're speaking to them That's from right. somewhere below their level, you're perceiving them as having the power, they continue that perception of power and they continue to uh, act in a bullish 
manner. But That's one right. of the things, I guess in, in nursing school, I kind of grew up with the idea that nurses were supposed to be accommodating, you know, accommodate everybody mm-hmm. and make everybody happy. And it was through personal experience that I realized that nobody or many people do not respect that and certainly not doctors often. No. And that if I could no. stand up to them and say, here's what I'm saying, here's why I'm saying it, and here's what I need yeah. from you, um, the doctors would be much more respectful of that, you know, of you as, yeah. a, as a nurse and, and accept that when you call the next time, they're probably going to say, oh, you know, Anne, you're, you're calling me, I, you know, whatever it is you need, let me know and I'll be happy to help you with that. Right. So, and, you know, for what I saw really work with that is what people call in our, in our background here is the SBAR communication that you spoke. Mm, not, right. I think something's the matter with the patient. It doesn't feel right. Is the situation is, the background mm-hmm. is this, this is my assessment, I recommend. And I have seen that work time and time again mm-hmm. with if you talked about physicians. And I think the same notion carries over to any other groups where there is conflict. The situation is if you find the common ground and the common ground mm-hmm. is the patient. You know, it's not yeah. you, it's not me, it's not my opinion, your opinion. The common ground is the patient. What's the best way to do this and how do we get there? And I think that's what, in conflict, we have to encourage people have the tools to be able to address that and deal with that and walk away from situations sharing that. And like you said, your early experience was not that. We've got to create then early experience where that is the norm, that they understand they will have conflict and they have the tools to address it. And we role play those norms on how to deal right. with them. Early on in students' careers, they have to be able to do that. I think yeah. that's one, you know, call to action for faculty and for, um, you know, schools of nursing or colleges of nursing that they invest in teaching those kinds of things, that they're not right. skills that people arrive at, nor, you know, that they just have. I grew up mm-hmm. with it, but a lot of people didn't. It was like, run yeah. away from it, even in our family, had people who did. Probably so, most people it, didn't grow up with it, um, it seems like. Right. Um, just, just because we have uh, people listening from many different countries. Um, The Mm SBAR, I'm not sure if that goes all through uh, the world or if that's something just in the United States and maybe Canada. Do you want to just explain what that is? Sure. Yeah, it's a very simple acronym that stands for how when you're presenting a problem that you describe the situation, it's called S-B-A-R, situation. The situation is this, the patient's Blood pressure is elevated, is 120 over 40, heart rate is. The background, and you give a little bit of the background. The patient came in, this is what happened, this is where he is now. My assessment is, this is what I see in front of me now, and the, the recommendation is, I believe this is what we need to do. Right. I need, you know, this is what I need. I need a physician to come take a look. I need to start an IV. I need to do whatever it is. But it's very succinct in terms of focusing you on the key problem the patient is presenting so you can present to whoever needs it presented. Um, So I think it's an easy way to assimilate and pull your thoughts together versus sometimes what, you know, my response too is when you become impatient with something is what is it you mm-hmm. want me to do? The physician will say, what do you want? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because he Why are you telling me all this extraneous information That's I don't need right. and don't want? Just tell me, get, you know, get to the point. That's right. So That's right. let's... And that comes from education models. Nursing's model has always been a process model. So you mm-hmm. talk about the story. Right. <laughs> the physician's <laughs> exactly. model is you got a problem, you solve it. <laughs> yeah. Tell me what it is and I'll tell you what to do. And 
and you know yeah. you're not in the position of retraining physicians when you need help. <laughs> that comes later. Yeah. But what you need so, so and is uh, a way this to is communicate, right? Yeah. So, they, so you're on the what same I wanna, page. What I want to make sure we get to is um, this sure. whole thing with COVID. There are, I think we've said this already, that there are organizations who seem to get it, and their whole um, point is to support their staff and particularly their nurses to be able to remove the obstacles from the nurses so that all they yes. have to do is do yes. their job and not have to think about you know, do they have to cover their back? Is there, you know, whatever is going on in the situation? Are they going to lose their job if they say something? Um, so if you right. were the CNO in a good organization in this COVID situation, how would you support nurses, particularly as a CNO? How, yeah. how would you do the that? What would it look most, like? The most powerful thing I can do, any leader can do, is being highly visible to the staff and listening to them. So presence is critical. Presence during any type of crisis of the leader, the CNO, the manager, the director, with that staff going through the crisis is vital. And it can't be a one-shot deal that I go out and I look and say, hey, how you doing? And that's about the size of it. Being right. there, listening, understanding, perceiving, and coming back with, what is the solution you think will work here? What will happen? What will do? That I don't, in some situations, I'm sure it did happen during COVID, but the key in any crisis is the patient and the staff safety. That is the mm -hmm. focus. You've got to focus on what do the patients need? What do the staff need to keep these people safe? And if they say to you, we need to get these people transferred out of here, you make that happen. But you communicate often, many times, much. And you can't be there 24-7, but sometimes you have to be there 24-7. You need leaders that are there 24-7. They have to mm -hmm. know someone is seeing and hearing and listening and doing and coming back with communication that says, this is what we had. I can't get you 50 personal protective pieces of equipment. I got 25. Here's Tell me how we should divvy this up. Tell me mm -hmm. what you think we can do with the 25. I will go back to the 50. So that's all about patient safety and staff safety right, right in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Visibility is everything. Communication is the second big thing. Um, if I had to say any other things as things went on, that, that's why people go outside an organization because they don't know what the organization's doing. Why you have nurses probably on TV saying, oh, I had to wear, you know, the garbage bag, sometimes when you're desperate and you don't have anything, that's a good solution. To protect yourself, it may be a solution, but you need mm -hmm. to know that your leaders are working on getting you a real gown <laughs> to protect you, right. you know? So that's what's critical there. So we, you can focus on immediate short-term priorities when you have a crisis that's leadership focused. But the two things is visibility, listening, communication, and action doing stuff mm -hmm. and getting back. Then you have to focus, and I think that's where many CNOs now, and that's where I'm at. It's, it's a platform for imaging. Get mm -hmm. beyond what it is. Do you have enough staffing? If you don't, how do you think we can manage this? When I hand down the solution to you, it's like talking to your toddler. They don't like it. <laughs> you know, they don't like your solution. Go to them and say, what are we going to do? What, what ideas do you have here mm -hmm. that you think we can enact? And it may be a change yeah. in structure. It may be 
stop using all the rules that we have that say you can't do this, you can't do that, let's do it, mm-hmm. and then let's assess, let's evaluate. Again, it's communication. Um, yeah. So I think those are some of the quickie kinds of things, but then yeah. you have to be looking at long-term. What's the future mm-hmm. long-term? In the meantime, CNOs now clearly should be looking at how do we leverage this image, the positions we put ourselves in. Advanced practice nurses, great example. Mm-hmm. Boards of nursing, as you and I talked about, they loosened up some of these restrictions and said, you need to practice because we were desperate. Mm-hmm. Keep that going. Make that a permanent solution, that practice to the full <laughs> scope of your authority. Leave it. Don't go back to mm-hmm. what we used to have, that you need 10 doctors signing off or two doctors signing off right. or whatever it might be. Go back. Pull, use what ground we've gained to continue to perform along those lines because, as you see, People were more than happy to have advanced practice nurses practicing to the full scope and not having to do mm-hmm. all the things that limited what they had to do. That right. goes with any nurse. That goes with anybody. So those mm-hmm. are the kinds of things I think that we need to keep propelling forward, imaging the nurse at the table to say. I'll give you a great example that I didn't think happened really well with COVID-19 and the vaccinations. Nurses understand <laughs> how to get to patients in the community. Mm-hmm. Churches understand how to get to patients in the community. Public health nurses, epidemiologists mm-hmm. are pros at this stuff. They know that, yeah. you know, stand out in the street corner. And I tell one guy and 50 people come for their vaccination. Yeah. They know how to do it. We went to people who never gave a shot in their life and said, let's set it up this way. Well, <laughs> people don't have money to come to your place to get the shot. You know, you got to mm-hmm. go to their place to get the shot. Those kinds of things are really where nurses excel. Keep pushing that forward. Telehealth, you know, now using that for education and training of patients at home. You know, it's not just for the doctor. The nurse can follow up. After you're discharged, let's get on the phone, let's do a Zoom, and let's see. Let me see how you diabetes. Show me this. Those kinds of things where we've made inroads continue to propel them forward. So it's around technology and use of it. It's around community resources and use of those kinds of things. Um, All of those, I think, speak to what CNOs need to be doing now to prepare. The workforce is different. And what you're going to get and bring into the workforce and what you want from the workforce, you have to start training and educating faculty and students now. And I think that's that's really in our ballpark. That's where faculty needs to stand up and work with organizations and CNEs to really maximize the benefit of saying, what, let's disrupt this thing. Let's throw out the models we have. Let's create one that's more fitting. And I don't have the answer to all of that, but that's some of it. Let's get us on these policy committees. Lots of nurses are on those, sitting on their own healthcare organizations, policies and stuff that they need to excel at. Yeah. I was thinking the number one thing I keep hearing again and again and again from nurses is the patient ratio uh, status. Mm -hmm. And I know you have a little different um, take on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the frustration has been when you've got politicians saying, oh, we're being overrun with patients so here's the the thing we do we take critical patients and we instead of having one nurse to that critical patient we add eight to that one Mm -hmm. nurse it's absolutely bonkers but again it goes back to asking the people who have never given a shot how do we deal with this so what is your thought about um, uh, nurse patient ratios a lot of people think it has to be legislated yeah 
I'm a really big fan of lack of legislation of it because I think that tells. The people proposing that say that this is the optimal way to get good care to patients. I think the nurse is the optimal way in making decisions. Mm -hmm. When you lock into a number, it doesn't really look at skill and experience of a nurse that's coming. A new grad can do less than perhaps an experienced nurse like yourself. Um, There's so many factors that look at what a patient's needs in terms of care. What are the things the nurse needs to provide? And only a nurse can really actually assess that and say, that's what it is. You can have ballparks, but when you start legislating, you can really impact in a negative way what a patient's needs might be because you're putting every patient as if they're the same into a mix as if every nurse was the same. And that's not the case. That's not the case. And one patient's response may be different. It's only experience with working with that. Do you know? And I think you limit yourself. I had a great example in one of the academic medical centers I was at where legislating a a ratio of a one-to-one in an ICU when, in fact, they probably had three nurses to one patient would limit what they currently could provide, which was fabulous care because they had Mm -hmm. support people to the actual nurse who did what they were, mm-hmm. you know, to care mm-hmm. for the patient. They had people who came in and did other kinds of things for that patient or that child. I think you have to be very careful when you legislate that. In areas where you don't have, and crises always happen. When you're in a battlefield, you can't say, I need a one-to-one here. If you've got to take yes. care of five patients, you take care of That's crisis, but crisis doesn't go on forever. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you need a smart CNO who's saying the crisis is for about four weeks. We can do this. If we're still in crisis mode at this point, there's something that they're not strategically and operationally planning for, and that's leadership mm-hmm. competencies that say, you need a plan B, C, and D. We're past the mm-hmm. crisis now, so you shouldn't have one to eight. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it should be some other methodology we've put in place. We have months of this now and experience that says, here's what we need to do to adequately care for these patients. In a crisis, everybody does whatever they have to do. But that crisis is self-limiting, or it should be. It shouldn't be eight months of it or 10 months of it. That's saying right. somewhere something else is not occurring that needs mm-hmm. to be occurring thoughtfully to bring relief to the people caring for the patients. Yeah. So the number one thing I'm hearing you say is that legislation doesn't work because that's you know, that's on a law. You need it moment by moment, uh, patient by patient, nurse by nurse, mm-hmm. and the nurses are the only ones that can determine what that should be. Correct? I think they have the best insight. Yes, absolutely. I, and I legislatively, I think, you know, you end up putting things out there that necessarily the intent and why many times collective bargaining units go after that is because they don't feel they have enough people. But that's where the conversation needs to occur. What would be enough that you can Mm -hmm. say every situation is not the same every single day. Mm -hmm. Every patient is different. The skill set of the nurse is different, et cetera. So you have to manage those intricacies if you're really trying to fix anything. Um, Legislation and any place it's never been legislated though they have mandatory ones, they've never shown any benefit that Mm -hmm. it actually has worked to the benefit of people. You know, it's very hard when you say, oh, I need five nurses. Where's the hospital finding the five nurses? (laughs) Immediately. It's not like I got a little bag over here and I pull them out. (laughs) So I have a drawer. I keep concerned about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because when they brought agency nurses in, I know for a long period of time, there was always concern about they don't know what they're doing. They don't exactly. know our program. So, exactly. you know, there's and pros no and cons training. with everything. 
Yes. No, um, no kind of uh, uh, in, uh, instruction or, or um, introduction to the uh, to the unit itself and to the organization as a whole. Right. So you actually end up taking away help from the nurses who actually know what they're doing because they're literally trying to um, uh, uh, teach these people from right. the outside everything, right. where their locker is, where the nearest water fountain is. Where, I mean, absolutely everything. Right. Um, I think what we have to assume with some, and I, I do see this now because there is a much higher level in agencies around clinical expertise. So where we have to retrain everybody, that's really not there. But it's, as you explained, mm-hmm. the logistics of how our organization works and what you would need to do to be safe in this environment. Like, yeah. how would you get help if you needed it? Yeah. Or, you know, if a fire happened, what would you do? You know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I mean, log- logistically, because yeah. many, many agencies have top top-notch nurses who really are astute in the science of nursing. Um, so I'd have to say you don't have to go teaching skill sets. I mean, the assumption is there's some preliminary testing out that agencies do to see that you have a sharp ICU nurse who can come in and understand what's happening in an ICU and um, educate them to the other things around them. So we're actually coming to the end of the show here, hard to believe. I always am amazed. Okay. Um, in just like a minute or so, um, if there was one thing that you want nurses across the world to get from what you're talking about, what would that be? Yeah. I'd have to say that the most, the key thing is that they really look at how they want to see themselves in the future with the attributes that they want to see besides clinician and vocally look to say, this is what academically needs to be taught. These are the scopes of what we need. These are the competencies from our leaders that we need to have in order for us to really innovate, to really transform a healthcare system, that we have to move in that direction. But individual nurses have to assess that, and then we have to follow up in in academic environments, in clinical environments, in any environment to look at the attributes we need to provide those nurses with so that they can move freely within their careers and expand and do what they need to do. Nurses need to own that the image they have has to be expanded and re-imaged to include very smart other kinds of things that reflect who we really are today. Right. That's critical. So thank so, you so very, and, okay. very much for being with us today, Dr. Uh, Ann scanlon okay. McGinnity. Um, I just yeah. have learned a great deal from you, and I feel very hopeful and excited going forward. So what we've basically been talking about is that there's a tremendous amount of change that needs to happen. We, we probably need to abandon all of those rules and routines and whatever else we had before and look at each of them for the value in this time, place, and and age. Um, So one of the things I hope to happen is that nurses will be given that decision-making ability on their unit. Um, Kathleen Bartholomew was on just a couple of weeks ago, and when she was a manager, she gave her her, um, charge nurses complete control of who was going to be on and 
how many. So I can't go into that now. Uh, I just wanted to end with a quote. I have uh, my favorite poet is Daisaku Ikeda, who's a Japanese poet laureate of Japan, and he's been a world peace leader for 74 years. And what he said was, the only way for human beings to change is for them to conquer their inner darkness and rediscover the eternal dignity within their own lives. Cultivating the noble spirit with which all people are endowed will directly lead to the to a change in the destiny of humankind. Mm-hmm. And on that, Powerful. I have to I have to end. So this has been once a nurse, always a nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And um, again, so happy to have you with us, Dr. McGinnity. And uh, mm-hmm. um, I hope that everybody can listen and gain a lot from this show. Thank you. You're welcome. And until our next show, make it a great week and don't let anyone take it away. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.